I'm here with Scott DeWolf and Frank Wood, proprietors of DeWolf and Wood Booksellers, located in uh, Alfred, Maine, which is uh, what about a 20-minute drive out of Portland? Uh, more like 35. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. Thank you. Your bookstore is one of the very few left in North America where you can go into it and still uh, get a thrill because you find something really interesting and it doesn't cost that much. Why is that? Well, I think we, we uh, you know, just uh, by, by dumb luck have bought lots of books over the years and we had a building that was big enough to put them in and we put them in there. That's not unique, though. It's not unique, but uh, it, it's sort of our mode of operation and... I think both of us have different interests, so we complement each other in what we buy. And so there's a, a huge variety of things. We're generalists. We don't specialize other than in, uh, you know, Shaker and Utopian material. Other than that, uh, you might find a medical book and you might find a, a book on the Sufi religion, you know. Or, or a book from the uh, Chelsea, Massachusetts Communist and Socialist Reading Library from the early 20th century. I mean, we bought a pallet full of their books, so... Still, that doesn't answer my question, because uh, so many bookstores now you, you can go into, and everyone knows what the prices are. You go in looking for a treasure or a find, and you're not going to save any money yeah. using your knowledge. Well, Frank travels all over the country and gets into uh, estates and does a lot with, uh, with institutions... So, especially years ago, we just had vast amounts of material coming in, and we really, we've never been able to keep ahead of it. At one time, when the internet book selling was going strong, we had seven people, including us, working here. Uh, but as the uh, online book selling sort of declined... It has declined? Well, for, for general books that would come through the door, uh, it's no longer worth listing. Because they've kind of gone to the bottom. They've right? gone to a dollar a book. Books that we consistently used to sell for 25 or 30 or 40 dollars or a dollar or less. Um, so we, we, tend to, we tend to change our business plan when we need to. Uh, we, we dragged our feet with the online book selling. And, and then it just came to a point where we had Brandy, who works for us and has worked for us for over 20 years, uh, go back through the books that had been listed in the late 1990s, and uh, we found that they just weren't worth keeping online anymore. So we wholesaled them out, brought them to flea markets, gave them away, whatever we did, uh, and now we've moved on to doing things differently. And how is that? Well, Frank's doing a very successful weekly list uh, that goes out to institutions all over the country. We tend to sell up the food chain and down the food chain, so in the winter, Brandy does a dealer's flea market in the middle of the week in Dover, New Hampshire, and it's at a VFW, and it's, it's really just maybe a little better than a flea market, uh, a regular like roadside flea market, set up specifically for dealers. And so we take a lot of the books that we can't sell in the shop, and uh, surprisingly, you can sell them there at, at a, a, a nominal amount of money, but at least it moves along. And who buys them? Uh, uh, people that are going to try to put them on eBay or people that have uh, uh, an antique shop and they can 
put some books out. Is it restricted to those people to come in and buy? Or no, not? anyone can come in, only in the winter. And, and as crazy as it sounds, they get a big crowd of people. And for whatever reason, virtually none of these people have ever come to our shop, even though some of them live in Maine and we tell them, come to our shop. But yeah. they like, Brandy's built up a very good customer base. Uh, she and I also do Broomfield for one day, the big antique flea market out in Massachusetts. Uh, and we bring defective brown leather, old, early books that are in bad condition, things that we just can't easily bring to an ABAA fair or even a regional fair, damaged maps, things like that. And we sell a huge amount of material there. And a lot of it goes to uh, the south and to the west. And they buy them just for decoration? Well, like there's a gentleman, an older gentleman from Missouri who, who loves our, our stuff. Again, he's never been to the shop, but he buys boxes full of books and antiques and odds and ends of stuff. And he says in Missouri, this, this material is far different than anything that you would ever see in the shops where he exhibits. And, and you know, people can buy, like walking into our shop, they, they can buy a book from 1790 you know, they're very impressed with owning a book that old, and it probably doesn't matter to them the cover's off or a page is missing, so that the stuff gets redistributed. It seems to me, uh, you know, my, my initial thought was, you guys buy gigantic amounts of, uh, of stuff, books and newspapers and manuscripts, and that, that enables you to offer these things at reasonable prices. Yeah, we, we, we're sort of known in the trade as sort of cleaning up other dealers' messes or deceased dealers. I mean, we're constantly getting calls from people who are either leaving the business or their, their loved one has died that owned a business and they say, will you come buy the books? And you don't go in and cherry pick? No, we buy everything. I mean, Which we, is exactly we, what they want. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. there are times when I will go in if it's, if it's a small library and say I would just prefer to take a few things. But usually we're willing to go in and take everything, the good, bad, and the ugly. And we, as Scott says, uh, the very best of the stuff we, we put aside for a show. And then the other stuff we put in the shop or send to the flea market or, or give to the local library for their sales. And you're right, we, because we buy in quantity, um, you know, I'm a bookseller that doesn't want to have a museum. I, don't, I don't want to have a lending library. I want to sell books, and the way you sell books is to price them so people can buy them. The older we get, I'm not sure we're going to be buying as many big lots. Uh, Just because it's done. hard on the back? Or? Well, we, it's, it's difficult to find anyone, uh, any kids these days to do lugging. It really, there's a noticeable change culturally with kids who are physically able to lug <laughs> or willing to lug and... and um, you mean you, you would advertise for people to come and help you and no one's responding? Well, we call, we'll call friends who have teenage children and so forth. And, yeah. and you know, occasionally, uh, right now, uh, when we need it, we have a recently minted uh, PhD historian <laughs> and he doesn't have anything to do this summer and he's very helpful. Uh, when we need him, and that that that's great. But I know a number of kids in the fifteen to eighteen year old, and that they'd rather work at Panera or or yeah. Dunkin' Donuts and 
and this I mean it is hard physical labor mm -hmm. yeah when we were first in business I, I, I have a son and he was a teenager and he had friends Perfect. and uh, I didn't always get a full day's work out of them because they tended to fool around a lot but they were willing to come and do it and uh, in fact uh, one of his friends who's now in his 30s still helps us occasionally uh, when we need someone um, but, but as it stands right now, if you buy a big lot, you guys are stuck with lugging it down into the, the back. Yeah, we or... do. We, you know, an example, uh, I went up Maine last week and bought 40 boxes of books, and I loaded the 40 boxes of books and bought them back. Uh, so no wonder you're both in good shape. Yeah. Well, and, and, and of course, the business has changed, so we're really big lots of general estate books used to be enticing to us because of putting them on the internet. Now, I think the proportion of books that aren't worth doing anything with is grown, so I, I would prefer to buy less. Of course, I'm, I, I would say I'm more the ephemera person than Frank, and, and I think both of us realize that that's the, the ephemera uh, photography manuscript material uh, more one-of-a-kind things. That, that's where the business is going, and that's where we would prefer to put our money. Um, not to say if someone offers us a very good book, or, or even a, a halfway decent book, we're interested, but, but really what we want. Um, uh, Frank uh, is great at finding unusual manuscript things that are often sitting at shows that no one else has looked at. Sitting at, uh, at book at, fairs? Yeah. He just did very well at a Book fair uh, recently. Where was that? It was in New, it was in New Hampshire. There was a fair this weekend, and again, I, I can't give myself all the credit, but there was a, a, a book dealer there that had some manuscript material, and I think a lot of dealers, you've got to be attuned to read the thing, and oftentimes the handwriting is difficult, but because I've done it for so long, I can I can sort of decipher. It's in the English language, though. Oh, it's in, yeah. Well, sometimes it's not, but I can, I mean, I can decipher enough German or Spanish to know if something's interesting. You've got to have patience, and I, I picked up a, a, an interesting, the, the person said, well, this was a, a manuscript uh, account book of a tavern keeper in New Hampshire, and I knew the town, and the tavern, tavern keeper's material is interesting. I bought it, and when I brought it home, though, and really studied it, the guy was also making furniture, and furniture makers' account books from that period are extremely rare. But I think the, the problem is, and I, I think dealers have different ways of operating, and I'm one of those people that's willing to, to really, as Scott will tell you, I mean, I, I, we're going to a bookshop, he'll be done in 10 minutes, and I want to stay an hour, because I want to look at everything. One know? of the first trips we took to Ohio together, an older, retiring dealer let us up into the attic and I just I still have this vision of Frank way in the eaves with only his feet in the air uh, <laughs> digging through some things um, so yeah he's willing to dig far more than I can but it pays off obviously it does pay off but they're, they're often I mean I'm not sure and you love doing it too right? I, I like yeah. doing it yeah. but I'm not sure if you add it all up it would you know I'm not sure we make minimum wage but I mean it, it's something <laughs> I I enjoyed I mean uh, Scott would like to have all of our inventory in a, in a briefcase, and I would like to have, you know, a, a ten-ton truck full of stuff. So, but we we work. You're getting along together, though. How long has it been? 
what is it, 26, 26 years yes, on yes. April Fool's Day. So perhaps you could take me back to that first April Fool's Day. Was it a joke when you got together? Well, Frank and I knew each other working at the Sabbath Day Lake Shaker Museum. Frank was the uh, assistant director, and I, I was a lowly tour guide, and Frank went back to politics eventually, and I continued to work for the Shakers. I eventually left the Shakers and went into the business full-time, specializing in American communal stuff. Uh, Frank was already doing book fairs. Um, Just on your own? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we started doing fairs together. I moved with my wife to Massachusetts while she was finishing up her PhD to save her from the drive. Uh, and literally the week after we moved, Frank called and said this place was available for rent. And the rent was so ridiculously cheap. This place here yes, in Alfred. Yeah. We decided uh, to do it. So then I started coming up once a week up here for a year. And then we bought the store. My wife and I bought a house. And Frank uh, lives over in Saco. And so it just sort of happened. And initially, we were going to run separate businesses. But it just it's too much chaos. Yeah, we, right. we when, I mean, I just, and again, it was just uh, serendipity. I knew the person that owned this shop, and I happened to be in <clears throat> talking to him. He had the antiques, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be closing my shop. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to rent it. And the, he mentioned the rent, and I said, well, for that, I'll do it. And I called Scott, and at first we had our separate inventories, and, and, we, and we took some things on consignment, and, uh, and it sort of grew. And that was 19... 19- 93? Yeah, 93. 93. So, uh, to go even further back, can you describe why you, I assume you both love books, can you tell me why? Well, I was, as a kid, I I was a pack rat. I just, I was not a collector. I accumulated things, whether they were bird's nests or comic books or whatever. I just, and when I lived in Alfred, there was a, a, a woman in town, a spinster, and she had a, a huge collection of books. And she said one day, why don't you take these? And I took them. Uh, we, we were on different sides of the street, so I would take a wagon over and bring the books back. How old were you? I was probably maybe 12, 10 or 12. And, and what your parents I, were cool with this? They sort of put up with my, you know, it was a large family, so they had to deal with all of our eccentricities uh, so but I just liked the fact that I had all these books and um, then I started collecting certain writers and finally when I was first married uh, my wife could not quite understand it did not quite like the book business I think most but, of us can relate to that well she didn't I mean I wasn't in the book business then so I said well I'll sell some so I started in about 1977 or 78, doing little lists and doing shows. And, you know, when I could go to a show and sell enough books to buy a refrigerator, she thought, well, that was all right. Books had some utility. But I I don't, I mean, I was always a reader and I was an English major, but I was more interested in just the accumulation of stuff. How many storage areas did you have when you met? Five or six storage areas, and it was just crazy. This was close by here. Yes. Which is handy. Yeah. God comes from a different perspective. So. Well, growing up in central Massachusetts, um, I became interested in American communal groups, especially the Shakers, uh, as a kid, as odd as that sounds, and also local history of the 
towns where I grew up. What's so, what's so interesting about Shakers? Uh, the communal aspect, uh, the furniture and decorative arts. My parents, virtually since the year I was born, would take us to Fruitlands Museum in Harvard, Massachusetts every year. Uh, very early uh, museum that was founded by a wealthy Boston woman. It was the uh, home of uh, Bronson Alcott's transcendentalist community, Fruitlands. And um, when she started the museum, the Shakers in Harvard, Massachusetts were closing and she bought one of their buildings and moved it there. She also created a Native American museum and an American painting museum. So that really was what got me interested. So as a kid, I collected American Indian beadwork and artifacts, some military stuff, local history, and uh, shaker paper things. And it, it just kept growing and growing. And I mean, I went on to college and uh, went to college in northern Wisconsin uh, to a, one of the few schools at the time that had a Native American Studies program. That's what you studied? I did. I, had to, I mean, it was a, I ended up with a history degree because they didn't have a major, but pretty much anything I could take that was Native American related, that's what I did. Hmm. Uh, and while I was there, uh, I wasn't the best student, so I, mainly because I was advertising in the local paper that I was, wanted to buy things, and I was going around buying artifacts and stuff then. Um, and ev eventually, uh, as I mentioned, I worked for the Shakers, um, well, that, that's a really strong uh, theme, isn't it, throughout your life? Yeah, um, well, in antiques. My father liked the antiques growing up, so he sort of fostered it in me. Um, and even in my high school yearbook, you know, you were supposed to have under your name what you'd be doing in 20 years. And, and my dream was to have an antique shop on the coast of Maine. And, I mean, yeah. not many people, you know, and it wasn't like I was planning that, but that's just sort of how it ha happened. So Frank's more, as I said, more the book person. I'm more the paper person, although I, I certainly have always loved books and have been a reader. Mm -hmm. uh, again, a nice compliment to each other. Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah. Now, 1993, that's early internet uh, days. So did you, uh, when you got together, did you automatically start putting stuff on the internet? We didn't even know about the internet, really. Uh, we waited till 98 to get our first computer. Yeah, we didn't Nothing, I mean, you know. I we, if we did a list, we'd type it up and send it to the printer, uh, and uh, 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 you know. Um, so you were mailing out to uh, a, a, a base that we had. Yeah, we, we did a whole series of uh, of catalogs. Uh, again, some many of the best ones are related to American communal groups because we were in the right place at the right time when several very big collections came out, and, and there was a huge demand. So again, you, you had your ear to the ground. You knew these collections were... Like, there were people that were already customers for the most part or, or friends of, for example, Shaker Furniture dealers who... Shaker Furniture dealers who had customers who were older who ended up, because they were early collectors, getting manuscripts and books from Shaker communities directly. But the furniture dealers tend not to know what to do with books and paper. Mm. So, for example, right before... For Frank and I, the year before we opened, or maybe it was the year we opened the shop, but we weren't official business partners yet. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, who was sort of my mentor with Shaker Furniture, called me up, and she said, um, "There are these people in New York who, you know, knew the Shakers." And uh, I went over and I bought twenty-five bound Shaker manuscripts and hundreds of books and pamphlets and photographs and. 
and, and I mean, it, even by today's standards, it was just a, a remarkable collection. And, and where'd you get the money? <laughs> well, Beth, it was in graduate school, and I had left the Shakers and was doing this for a living, so I cobbled it together with credit cards. I have a very... That's, uh, a, that's a risk, then, you took big uh, it was a, It was a big risk, but, but not really, because I knew exactly, again, I had done this for so long, I knew exactly what I was buying, and mm -hmm. I knew exactly where it was going to go, and I pretty much knew how long it would take to get my money back, and, and you know, it far exceeded what I thought I was going to do. So we did several catalogs, well, over 20 Shaker catalogs, mm -hmm. uh, and then some general Americana catalogs. So that's how we started doing that, and of course back then you could have an open shop and people actually came and visited you. <laughs> it's a, really a different story you know, today. We do. People, sorry, people actually sought out your store in Alfred they, as they, a destination. Well, sure, because Frank already had this reputation of having great stuff at shows, unusual stuff, not always expensive stuff. But Frank, Frank has like this encyclopedic memory. Uh, one brief example is years ago, twenty something years ago, probably one of our customers who collects a particular type of religious stuff said. I really want this particular pamphlet, it's a main pamphlet because it has something to do with the person I'm studying. I can't find it, I've never found it. Years later, we're at an auction in Vermont, Frank sees this pamphlet and says, oh, so-and-so wants this. And it, it was decades later, I mean, it would have gone in and out of my mind, and he did remember it. So he, got, he always had this reputation of finding really interesting things, and, it, and in fact, uh, the word dealers were kind of upset when we became business partners because I was more the business-minded person and I sort of organized, even though it doesn't look right now in our shop, <laughs> I sort of organized I like that. the chaos yeah. to, to the extent where we're, very, we're actually extremely efficient moving through huge quantities of stuff. I mean, we, in, in any given day right now, we're probably shipping 40 items, sometimes more than that. So and what explains that? We're just very good at quoting stuff out and selling things on eBay and just moving things along. Yeah. I've heard that a number of times in the recent past from librarians. They do use eBay. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. You know, you don't perhaps think that that's the place where they would go, but... I think it is. I think yeah. some of them are more comfortable shopping on their own than trusting a dealer necessarily or if nothing else, at least using that as a point of reference when a dealer offers them something. Yeah, and, what, and why is that? Why better not? deals, I guess? Well, better I deals, think better yeah. deals and, and a, a wider variety of things, I mean, especially paper things. Mm. Uh, a lot of book dealers, although we're seeing a trend where at the big shows now there's a lot more paper photography manuscript stuff than there was in the past. When we started doing the shows, there may be what, two or three dealers that had paper stuff? Right. And I think dealers, the book dealers now say, oh, I, I've got to branch out. But in the past, libraries, if they wanted that sort of stuff, eBay's a, a great place. And I mean, I think the other thing that, was, that we got into early was because we both came from museums and libraries, we knew that these institutions had lots of things given to them that didn't fit into their collections or oh, so they, they put want. stuff on the eBay. Well, no, we would then, buy things. What I would oh, do. Oh, okay. What I you would go and say, "Give me your stuff you don't want." Well, mm -hmm. I, I started out. Uh, we, we started out with we'd send out a letter to all the libraries in Ohio, saying, uh, "I'm coming out to Ohio. If you have material 
that is X library duplicates or out of your collecting scope, please let me know. And uh, we mm. had gotten into one institution, Scott had years ago because of Shaker stuff and we did very well with them. And they would refer us if other libraries called them and said, we've got all this stuff. What do we do? And they'd say, called the Wolf and Wood. And again, they liked us because we would come out and we'd take it all. Yeah. We'd Eight pallets of uh, Baptist imprints. Yeah. Day. I mean, and who's going to want that? Well, we, we sold yeah. a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. No, that's what finally. I mean. They're thinking, who's going to. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And so, and, and, and so uh, I'm probably in the Midwest, probably three or four times a year, maybe more, depending on. Uh, you so know. you got deals with trucking companies? <laughs> no, we did it ourselves. Do it ourselves. <laughs> you? But, you know, so that was, you know, and, and so it's built up. And every so often I think, well, one, one winter I thought, I, oh, I've never been to Nebraska. I, I think I'll go to Nebraska. So I wrote a letter. I, I think we probably broke even on that trip, but I got to see Nebraska. So. Well, and again, that sounds like a lot of fun, uh, connecting with all of these institutions and then actually going out there and uh, yeah. finding stuff. Well, and you never know where things end up. We bought a, a very good collection uh, of Americana that a county had ended up with, and they were storing it at the local dump in a metal building with a dirt floor. They just they couldn't get anyone to take it. And and unfortunately, a lot of it you know, was ruined, but, but it was... It was an old collection, and at one time it would have been fabulous. Yeah, uh, I'd like to have seen. I mean, but but again, it was because I had written to the historical societies in town, and they gave it to the, the was a county. I got the county manager, and he called me and said, "I've got all this stuff. Would you come out?" So I, I went out. So as much as anything, you're kind of a removal service. <laughs> Uh, whereas other book dealers would go there with the, and, and say, "No, I, I'm not gonna. I, I just want the stuff that I can think that I can resell." Yeah. yeah. And uh, the libraries would say, "No, I want you to take it all." Yeah. And and that's why you got. Do you think that's why you've done so well? Well, Fra Frank also was a career politician, and he's just very good with people. Um, and, and you're not. Uh, no, <laughs> he's more the. Uh, He's very friend. good research. He, his shaker customers love him. I okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, so Frank has these long-term relationships all over the country with with people, with dealers, collectors, and so forth. And, and you know he's single. He doesn't mind being out on the road weeks at a time. Um, I, I would prefer to be closer to home usually. And again, nice compliment to each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. he. I like to travel. He doesn't. Yeah, for business and uh, pleasure. I like to travel. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I look at the traveling as my vacation. I well, mean, I, I, th you know, that, that's exactly what yeah. I am. I'm a literary tourist. Yeah. So, so uh, I mean, I will uh, can relate. But so it's worked out well. As Scott was talking about the the Shaker collection that he bought, and you asked about the money when we were first in business. Uh, we made an offer on the building, and the and they accepted our offer. The bank, the bank, this, this building. building, yeah. And the and the closing was a month away, and we had enough money in the bank for the closing. We got a call uh, from someone down south that had told us about a postcard collection, and back then Scott, we, Scott was big into postcards, 
And we flew down to the Carolinas, went to this house. They had what? 250,000 postcards at least. We filled a 16-foot U-Haul at least, well, maybe at least four feet high, maybe five feet high. And so we bought all the postcards. But again, you and must we, have known that you wouldn't, you don't want to get stuck with that. He knew, I didn't, but we well, used we all did. of our savings. It, it was a fresh, it was a, war, it was a, a great story. It was a World War II vet who traveled a lot for the military and then traveled a lot in whatever post-war job he had, wherever he went in the 50s, 60s, and maybe the 70s. If he walked into an antique shop and they had a box of postcards, back then they weren't much money, he would just buy them all. And he started to sort them, but at some point it got away from him. And it was this whole second floor of a house was just postcards. And I leafed through a few boxes and I said, well, we, we really can't go wrong. How did you know you can't go wrong? Well, because at the time, I mean, again, everything changes. At the time, the best postcards were bringing really good money, and that's a lot of postcards. So, in other words, there was a, a demand from a lot of collectors of postcards collectors out there? And collectors and other dealers. It was, a huge, it was a huge hobby. It still is, but the prices have collapsed again because of the internet. Uh, but, for example, one of the things we found, were, and, I, and of course I, I wish I had them back, were a, a series of real photo postcards of African-American women at a prison in Georgia, what they were doing, and there were like eight or ten of them. And the, the social history aspect of that was just incredible. And at the time, I, I think I did well with them, but compared to what I could get now, and then there were just thousands of, of small town postcards that people would like. So we just, there were a fair number of postcard dealers in, in this area of New England. So I just let people know and uh, they <laughs> came and they went through. I would price boxes every day and they'd come. And finally um, we had a, I think Frank was doing the show or, or maybe it was me. We, we met a guy at a fair who had come up from the South and he bought a bunch of cards because a lot of the cards were southern. And he said, "Well, where's your shop?" And we told him. And he came over, and um, within about two hours, he had purchased everything that was left. So we reloaded them into a truck, <laughs> <laughs> and they went back south. And and we made the you made but, money on it. We, 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 we because when we bought the cards, we used all of the money to buy the, the down payment. Yeah. So we had a month we had to a come month up to it. with that money, and we did it. And we did it. You guys are like high rollers here. You're yeah. risk big risk takers. I, I maybe, but I don't. I mean, we do lose on some lots, like everybody. But generally, I would say we we do okay. I mean, we're we're certainly not. Um, we certainly haven't walked away with a huge amount of money. But but we've made a good living. We have a great building. Yeah, well, we do so. what we want. I mean, I'm not trainable anymore, so. But, but I mean, the thing is, a lot of dealers will say to me, like when we bought the O'Brien collection, which you have the photograph of. Yes, and which uh, we should talk about. When, how, how, how far in was that? It was the first year. First years right. we were in right. business. So and 90, probably 94 it was. And, uh, you know, dealers said to me, because it was literally a barn full of books. And a house. And a house, and you couldn't move. I mean, the, the cor you saw the corridors and the pictures. Yeah. And people would say to me, well, how did you come up with a price? Uh, because a, a lot of dealers look at each book, but it was impossible. So uh, the woman we were working with, she had a price in mind, and she gave it to us, and we looked at the 
amount of material and said, What could go wrong? What could go wrong? And we said, Fine. And this guy was a was a well known bookseller, right? Founder of the ABA. Founder of the one, ABA. One of the one, one of the, one of the founding members. members. Yeah. Okay. He'd been around since the nineteen twenties. Twenties. And he had a big shop? He had no, he operated out of his house in Portland and then um, in the 50s or 60s, he bought this summer home in Hiram, which is a very small town. And uh, it, he, he retrofitted the barn. He put a cement floor in and, you know, so it was secure and put shelving in. And that's where he would, he, he never took more than a station wagon full of books up there at a time. But he was buying huge quantities and he would go through the books and some he'd keep for his shop at the house and the rest would go up to Hiram. And uh, when, he, when he passed away, um, said I'd known Francis for oh, probably 20 years and uh, was friends with his daughter. And his daughter said, you know, come up and look at the books and let's talk. And uh, How many books are we talking? I think there were about, by the end, about 150,000 because I think, I think there were maybe 100 in the barn and then Something yeah. like that, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe 125, but some, and, somewhere north of 100. And you were able to storm in this building? Uh, yeah, we uh, at the time I don't think we were using the basement, so I think we, although the basement had been finished by the previous owner, so I think we filled that with boxes, which we've done several times and we may do again. Uh, we had the back sheds, and again, there were a lot of things that really weren't worth much that we just. Wholesale and, and back then we weren't, you know, we we didn't take. I don't think we ever took a truck up there. It was always van. A van yeah. We would, I would go up, load up the van, bring it down, and we, so we'd process. You know, it wasn't we weren't over. We didn't have a time. Oh, no, oh that's nice. until until we did until they sold the house, and then we had. Yeah. Yeah. So it took us about two years. So it was okay. a much shorter, a much longer process than like Tuttle's or. But there were very good things in there, and Francis had said to Frank, whoever buys that barn is going to get surprises, and we, we still don't know if he did this on purpose or he, he, or, or, um, he just didn't know, but there, there were piles of things. He saved like newspapers, he saved junk mail and so forth, but we looked through it all one day. Um, you know, you just never knew what you are going to find, and one day Frank found this little pile of carte de visite photographs and included eight really wonderful Native American photos that, you know, were right up my alley and uh, again, I wish I still had those. Um, so there were there were lots of surprises yeah, yeah. in that, and that was, line. That's what you were hoping for and yeah. that, that's what you yeah. got. He issued one catalog years ago and I think that was in the I think the maybe late 40s. And, and in one of the piles we found the remaining things that were in that catalog. It was a periodical catalog. So, so all of a sudden it became very obvious that this, this was the remnant of his first catalog. He didn't, if it didn't sell, he didn't wholesale it out or move it out. He just brought it up to the barn and set it down and it was still there. What do you mean when you say wholesale it out? Like who gets that? Well, we, we have, um, like with the flea market, we have people that like there's a local man that does eBay. Uh, he's semi-retired, and there are things that I just don't that I know Brandy could put on eBay and would probably sell. But we have too much of it, 
So we're willing to let him have things at a good price, and um, and he can sell it, and make something, and he's happy. We're happy. We have the space. I sold him some things this morning. But you got like a bunch of people like that, have you? Uh, not as many as we used to, right. uh, because a lot of people are buying general. It used to be like art, art books, for example. You know, you could wholesale a bunch of those out to people that were doing antique shows and so forth. Mm. But again, the value for a lot of that stuff is so low now that most of the people that were, would buy those uh, aren't out driving around anymore. They might at the flea market buy that Brandy does. They might buy them for a couple dollars a piece. But, yeah. It was like one time, years ago, we had a other deal that we dealt with and his brother was interested in books and his brother's brother was it his brother or his brother-in-law that bought all the biographies I don't even remember who you're talking about well, was, but anyway. uh, anyways his brother came in and he liked biographies well biographies are not the easiest thing to sell mm -hmm. and we had rows I mean they're popular as new books yeah right. but and, and we had book. rows and rows of it and he said I'd like to buy them all so we came up with a price and uh, um Oh, it was, uh, well, it I'm matter. not good at names, but, you know, and he carded them off, and, and if we had s waited 10 years, maybe we could have sold them all at a good price, but mm. I was, we were happy to get that likely, money. Likely we would have had, still had them. Uh, you know, and, and we it, have sold the entire basement twice. Well, okay. But I don't think we'll ever be able to do, do that again. again. But it, We it, did sell all the drawers on one side of the building once. Um, I don't think that person will do that again, but... You know, and, and, and it, what I like is it frees up space and you go off Fill it up again. Stuff. <laughs> so what about uh, the internet coming in? I know you, you, you enjoyed quite a bit of success when it first came in. Is that right? We, we did. We had a semi-retired rare book librarian who, who in his later career had cataloged for uh, the public library in Philadelphia. And uh, he, I, that's what he did. That's what he was trained to do. And uh, Frank... Um, saw him one day and offered him a job and so he cataloged um, around 50,000 books over a series of three or four years so we went online with it with really a huge amount of books and it, and it was very good for a long time but uh, eventually we just saw the numbers falling or I saw the numbers falling and finally uh, Brandy took the time to go through and you said a lot of stuff was just sitting up there. It was never going to sell because yeah. when, when uh, Brandy would look them up on the internet, uh, we'd see that we were no longer the, 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 cheapest. the cheapest, and the cheapest might only be a dollar or two, and I didn't want to get involved in lowering her prices like that. So uh, but so we, we only have a thousand books on the internet at this point, uh, mm. plus what we sell on eBay. We find eBay... Um, How many do you have on eBay? Usually uh, uh, between two and three hundred at auction a week, and then we have an eBay store. When we bought Tuttles of Vermont uh, thirteen years ago, that, that's another big, big. That was the oldest American surviving American bookstore. They started in the eighteen twenties. Uh, they were renowned as rare book dealers, but in later years, they still had a rare book business. But really, what they did was genealogy. So we we ended up and. and they originally were a publishing house, uh, so they published books. So, um, so we ended up. They with, had a connection to Japan. Yes, it? absolutely, yeah. and that part of the company is still going. But we moved all that here, 
and um, it was perfect perfect for like an eBay store because they didn't have one of a particular genealogy. They might have twenty or fifty. They actually had boxes of genealogies they had published in the late nineteenth century that were still wrapped. They had never even been out of the wrappers. Um, and <laughs> I I have to say, I mean, it's been thirteen years, but we are starting to see that we're running out of some of the genealogy. These Great. are genealogies of specific families? Yes. Specific American yeah. families, usually. And they're what? They're, they, they sell, I guess. They, they, I mean, they used to sell. Tuttles, that's what they did. They did these big, thick catalogs, and, of course, pre-internet, but people loved their catalogs, and for years after we bought the business, we'd get calls from elderly customers saying, well, back in 1985, in catalog such and such, you had copies of this genealogy, and do you still have them? And, you know, sometimes we did, sometimes we, we didn't. Of course, that has all changed, and I wouldn't go out of my way to buy that many genealogies now. Yeah. Um, but there are still people that don't want a, an internet version. They want a hard copy. And, you know, we probably sell four or five or six or seven genealogies a week out of that I mean, still. <laughs> Any other big purchases that are worth talking about? I think those are the two biggest. I mean, we, we've bought a lot of things from deceased dealers, uh, families. Uh, probably the strangest one was we, we bought a large collection out of Vermont. The, the person was a book dealer, but I don't think he really <coughs> wanted to sell books. I think he just wanted to accumulate them, and he was a true hoarder. And at one point, he needed uh, to, uh, I don't know what the term is, he was building a road. He needed need fill for the bottom of a road. road and he yeah. used books, because he had so many of them. He yeah. had hundreds of thousands that's, of books on his property. That's sacrilegious. He had hundreds of thousands of books on his property shoved in. Uh, like a sawmill yeah. and pole barns, and he had good books in the house. And, and uh, But he had died and really had not told his widow anything mm -hmm. about the books. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, uh, he had sort of said the best books to sell at auction, which she did, but she had all of the remainder. And, and we bought that, but it was just so funny to go, oh, I mean, a lot of the books were damaged because the way he stored them. But when she said, oh, he needed a road, so he just used books, you know. So, yeah. So, is business as good now as it was when uh, the internet cranked up? It's better now for us. It's better? Yeah. Why is it better? Um, I think there are less booksellers. Uh, I, I think we've become, because there are just three of us working full-time and then one part-time person who packs, we've become extremely efficient. Even again, our shop doesn't look like we're efficient. But, but we really are. I mean, we really spend a lot of time organizing our stuff for, for the big ABAA shows. Which you do all of those, do you? We, we do. And, and, and that really is a, a game changer. Um, I'm amazed at how many dealers don't join the ABAA. But Frank, you, you, sorry, but you, can, you have to be a member to, to display at their you have, fairs. You have to be a member to display. And, and Frank, pushed, Frank didn't want to join for a number of reasons initially. But he kept pushing me to do it, and, and, and I, I finally gave in, and I, I did it. <laughs> and really, it was the best business move we ever made, because it does give you entree to a, a certain group of customers institutionally. And, and, and Again, the people that attend these fairs, that we Yeah, and, and also they're more likely to look, if you're doing 
now an email list, they're more likely to open it because they know who you are because you're an ABA member, they've seen you at shows or at RBMS. Or... So I think we've just become very good at moving things along. But I guess the other thing is if you're going to buy in such huge quantity, you guys must sieve through all sorts of stuff. We do. And you must be able to do that pretty quickly because there's a, yeah, literally, there's tons and tons of stuff. And we make mistakes. And, and Which that, is what I like as a well, buyer. Right, and that that does bring people back and some people will, will say, you know, well, I did such and such with the thing I bought from you and it's like, well, you know, come back again. And, and you know, we what it, what it means is from a business standpoint, is we, we do have some people that come in that really, they're dealers, usually lower-end dealers, but they don't haggle with us with price because they know they may lose money on a couple things, but they might make a lot of money on something or, or a little money on something, and they know it's better than going anywhere else. And, and if they're good customers, you know, we'll occasionally, if we have a big lot come in, we'll pile up a box of stuff and say, here, you can have this for... X number of dollars, and, and we know they're going to make money because we need them to keep things going. To what percentage of your business is other dealers then? That, that's an interesting question. I, I would guess 80? 80. 75? Something? I would say 75, yeah. 25, or maybe dollar, 64, but dollar-wise. Dollar-wise, not transis, transaction. So you're kind of like a wholesaler for other dealers. Well, yeah. I think we, we know where we are on the food chain. And I think a lot of dealers, a lot of dealers think they have to get the last dollar. I want the first dollar. So when they go to a show, our, our booth is usually mobbed. During set up, during set up, by all the other dealers. Yeah. Even before us poor yeah. sods come in yeah. the door, and yeah. And and because they know we have interesting stuff, and it's priced reasonably. Yeah. Which is how I started this off. Yeah, and, and I think that even by the time they've gone through, I, uh, we're doing New York and God will say, gee, we've sold so much stuff. Are we going to sell anything during the show? And we sell it during, because there's still <coughs> stuff there. Right, and it's still the it's right still price. still reasonable. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I don't, uh, and I won't keep you, but we, when we. I know, you can talk the, as long as you want. The first or second. I think it was the second New York show. We had a very rare broadside, uh, but it was damaged, and we owned it with someone, and we priced it, which we both thought was pretty aggressive. We it had it. a big chunk out of it, which affected even some of the taxes. But, but we priced it pretty aggressively, and we sold it to a dealer, and that dealer sold it to another dealer who sold it to a, a client of his. And the client found out where it came from and came to us and said, you know, you should have offered it to me. And I sort of said, you wouldn't have bought it from us at that price because you're used to, you know, buying from certain people. And I think that's, and people said, well, weren't you upset that you, and I said, no, I, I made what you my wanted. profit. I yeah. made my profit. And I assume if we make a profit and they make a profit, they're going to come back and we want them to come back. Yeah. Just uh, in closing, um, where are things headed for the for the, the business, your business and the business at large? I'm going to leave that to Scott because he he knows he he's part of the upper echelon of the book association. Well, we we um, we we definitely still have differing views of things, and um, 
Frank's going to live forever and wants to keep buying at the level he's buying. Just uh, buying is so much damn fun. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's the only fun in life. I, I would like within five years to probably sell this building. I'm 57, so maybe eight years. And I, I don't ever want to go out of the business, but I would, I could envision going back and maybe it would be boring at this point to do this, but I could envision going back to the way I used to do things and have all my inventory in 10 boxes and, you know, just deal with, with, with older customers, which I'm doing now. I mean, behind you is some shaker furniture that is from people that I've worked with for 30 years and it's really good things and, you know, I can make good money by brokering those few things and and maybe actually having a life. You know, my wife and I do travel a bit. We're going to uh, London next month. And Just she, pleasure. Yeah, and she's a college professor and has a busy schedule. At some point, we would like it so that we could do, um, do some other things, but continue in the business. But on the other hand, um, right now, things are good, and we'll probably keep on going and with... And we certainly won't run out of things anytime soon. <laughs> so, um, so there's no rush. And I, I would have guessed the business would be contracting as far as sales go, just because of what you hear, you know, from other people in the, the trade. But I, I really think that it's it's a time of opportunity for uh, who? For for dealers and collectors. Um, I, again, going back to what I know about shaker material. If you were a new collector now, you could buy things sometimes for for thirty percent of what it cost twenty five years ago. So it's reasonable, it's interesting stuff. You could have fun building a collection without breaking the bank. If you're a new collector, you're talking about furniture, uh, shaker paper and books, and and really postcards are another example. I mean, there were there are if you want to collect local material and so forth, the, the, the prices are really back down in some cases to 20 and 30 years ago. And of course, it depends on what the, the item is. Some things are way up. So I, I think there's a lot of possibilities. And, and also for dealers, as long as you're willing to change and buy things that you never buy. I mean, we Frank doesn't didn't know anything about antiques when we started. I grew up around antiques, but I, my father liked glass in China. I liked primitive stuff. Right from the start, if we went into a house and saw to look at books and we saw a painting or, or a piece of furniture that we thought looked good, we would throw in an offer. Um, we just didn't care. I mean, it, we would have a little bit of knowledge. Because you do uh, antique shows, we, right? We do the big New Hampshire Antique Dealers show, which again broadens our appeal. And we do sell a lot of books there to people that will never come into a bookstore mm -hmm. or a book show. Mm -hmm. And and so it's perfect for us, um, but we just like this. We like antiques, and and um, when we first opened, Frank, because he grew up here, knew a lot of elderly people that had attics full of not great stuff, but stuff that tourists would buy. One of our best finds in the last couple of years, again, Frank did. He was was in a attic of a library buying ex library books that were interesting, but not worth a whole lot of money. In the corner, he noticed some paintings. And they were covered, in, literally covered in dust and grime and, and filthy. I, I mean, really, really filthy. But he still bought. It. He just figured, what you know, what 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 could go wrong with this? And we 
looked at two of the paintings and they looked like they could be interesting Dutch paintings from what we could see and Frank figured out who to bring them to and we cleaned them up and they were, they were at one of them especially, it was just a stunning small skating scene um, early 19th century by a known artist and you know we sent it to Holland and, and it brought really good money. We did better on those than we did on the books so it evened out the transaction and the library was thrilled because they, I, I, I assume they would have thrown them away and we, we actually gave them plenty of money. Uh, we did, you know, we yeah, gave were, a fair yeah. price. She, the librarian looked at me and said, you want to buy these things? You know? <laughs> and I, you know, but again... Um, it's it, like taking taking it away, which is what they what wanted. They want, I mean, they, they were going to throw it away. This yeah. is found money for them. Yeah. Yes, we we spent a lot of money. We had to have them cleaned and all that stuff. But uh, but, I, but I think you've got... Dealers have to sort of be able to think on their feet and be able to uh, move when you see an opportunity, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think so many, uh, whether they're antique dealers, whatever dealers, they, they're used to operating in a certain way and they're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And when you go out of your comfort zone, and we always go out of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a little too far. A little too far. <laughs> Just but in see, terms of what you purchase. Yeah. yeah. But, but at the age of Frank 70. Frank silk kimonos once in a, out of a house. <laughs> and I thought it was crazy, but he sold them all at an antique show. You know, I mean, I, but at the age of 70, I, uh, I see by the time Scott sells the store, I'll be gone. And, and uh, the plan is when I die, we're going to have, uh, they're going to lay me out in the store and it'll be a sale. They can pay my, their respects to me and buy books. At the <laughs> well, that's a pretty good place to end it, I guess. Uh, although I didn't get what you thought about the future of the business generally. I, I wouldn't... And, for a young person, I wouldn't suggest it unless they had a real passion for it. But that's probably true for for any career that someone might choose. Yeah, yeah. I, I, growing up, my family and people that knew me, and maybe it was the same for Frank, thought I was crazy. My grandmother would pull my, my wife aside and say, well, when's Scott really going to start working? And, and you know... We've been very lucky to be able to make a living doing something we really like, yeah. and that's that. That's my best advice for, for anyone that's interested in, in being a book dealer. If you, if you have a passion to do it, do it. But don't think that it's going to be easy. Yeah. Uh, we work. We really work seven days a week. The future of book selling, I think, there'll always be a, a place for antiquarian book and paper dealers. But I do keep seeing it contracting, and I, I, I don't know where it will end. I mean, you, you, you know, the, here in Maine, there are a couple of dealers that I think are going out of business fairly soon. The That's old, the one down in Wells, right? Yeah, it's yeah. for sale, and yeah. Um, and there's another one up in Farmington, which is a very nice shop, and he just announced after 27 years he's going to close. But even with, with shows, I mean, the, the Marriott show, the old Massachusetts show, which used to be in Boston, in the spring and dealers from England would come and do the show it was marvelous that show what the last bit of it is finally gone um, and, and there are a number of other small regional shows that, that are going and it's it's really too bad and there are people going out of business all around us and antique dealers too not just book and paper people so you sort of is that just because there's such a big supply of everything now that the prices aren't there for 
people who well, want to Well, there's a scarcity of really good things. I mean, it's, I, you know, you read any bookseller's biography or autobiography, regardless of how long ago it is, they always say it's hard to find good stuff that you can sell. Well, it's still hard to find. But if you eke away at it, work at it seven days a week, and you have a passion, it's, yeah. it's still good. But I, I don't see it growing again. You have anything to add? No, I think it will be about the same. And I think also in terms of the antique business anyways, uh, tastes have changed. You know, uh, the yeah. collector who wanted to go out and was, you know, collected and wanted the provenance and wanted, you know, the historical basis for that piece of furniture. Now, a lot of people will look in the magazine and they want to look. Oh, I like that, the way that piece of furniture looks. It doesn't have to be old. It doesn't have to be original. It doesn't have to have mm. this great history. And, yeah. and so it's hard for dealers to, to, that are used to finding incredible pieces with a nice history to make, to make money. But I, I, think, I think it will sputter along. And just finally then, on the other side, advice, I, I always like to get this in if I can, and that's advice to collectors. You know, what uh, what are your what's your advice? Uh, my advice is to collect what you like uh, and never collect thinking you're going to make money mm-hmm. in the end. Mm-hmm. If you like it, buy it. We had and you won't regret that. You won't regret. We we had a a, a customer that put together a wonderful collection of, of main books. It was appraised at a huge amount of money twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. He was going to the nursing home and he said to us, you know, will you sell my books for us? And we said, we can't get you what, what, you pay, what the appraisal is. He said, I had fun collecting it. And that's, have fun. Yeah. yeah and and I, think, I think I would just agree with that. I, there's, um, just, just pick something that you really have a passion for and, and, and learn as much as you can so you're an educated buyer. Find a couple of dealers that you can trust, and and then um, you know also look look online. But uh, you know th- there are a number of dealers still like like us that have good, interesting old things that are happy to help uh, collectors and build collections and so forth. And and get out there and look. Great. Well, uh, despite all the trucks that we're driving by, this uh, this is actually quite a charming, quiet little. I thought it was quiet. It's not that quiet with all these trucks, though. We had a uh, tractor-trailer hit the front of the building a year ago this last January. It jackknifed out front, went skidding across the parking lot. The, the uh, box truck, part of the truck, ended up um, being stopped by the overhang of the building. And the cab, one corner of the cab, was less than a foot from our 1869 glass windows. <laughs> The overhang was destroyed. Eventually, it became apparent it was destroyed. So it's a one of the most dangerous intersections uh, in Southern Maine. But it's a quiet little town. Other that than that the, was my perception. It's that, a quiet uh, little town when you get off the Maine. Well, and it's also a great literary destination just because of your your shop. That well, thank it's you. So thank much you. fun to be here. And, thank you very and much. And checking out everything that you've got. And uh, thanks for for uh, for doing what you do. Well, thank, thank you. you. I've been speaking to Frank Wood and Scott DeWolf here in Alfred, Maine. Thanks again. Thank you.